Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Steven Talk Soccer Podcast. This is Premier League Match Day 5. This is my review, as I've been doing week in, week out now. Please make sure to follow, to download, to subscribe, to do all those lovely things before continuing on with the rest of this episode. Go check out my other episodes. They are absolutely everywhere on every platform you can ever think of. The Steven Talk Soccer Podcast is there. Without any further introduction, this is going to be a bit of a shorter episode given that I wasn't able to catch most of these games. I've been quite busy recently, so things have been kind of slower in terms of my you know, game-watching uh, ability. But I promise you that's going to change with time, so just bear with me in the meantime. But we'll get straight into the thick of the action like we always do. Starting off between two London clubs, between Crystal Palace and Brentford. The game finished 1-1 at the Sel- at Selhurst Park. A game that really could have finished as a win for either side, full of chances, full of opportunities, had everything you could ever imagine or want from a Premier League game and a London derby, especially two teams that are very, very uh, in good form recently and have been performing at a level that isn't normally synonymous with them, but they've been doing really well. Goals from Wilfred Zaha and late in the game from Johan Visa, making it uh, an even scoreline at the end of the match. Zaha, obviously, if you guys didn't see his post-match interview, he was a bit annoyed and disappointed in the fact that Palace didn't pick up all three points. And I mean, he has every reason to be. Palace created a lot of chances to go on and really kill off this game, especially earlier in the match uh, before, obviously, Brentford had equalized. And I mean, Zaha was linked with a move away from Palace to you know where, to Chelsea, where where else would he be linked to? (laughs) But he uh, put in a really good performance and scored an absolute, probably one of the goals of the the game week of the match day, for sure. It was a really good finish. very, very carefully uh, executed and, and technically struck. Very good finish. To make it one nothing again wasn't enough. But in terms of Palace's progression and simply staying afloat and becoming more and more uh, consistent with their performances and with their playing style and, and getting used to Patrick Vieira's system, this is a great result against a Brentford team that we know could cause any team in the Premier League problems. So big up yourself, Palace. Very good result. 1-1 is not a terrible scoreline to move on with into your next game, which is against Newcastle, by the way. We will move on to the next match between Fulham and Brighton, which finished 2-1 to Fulham. Very good performance from Fulham in this game. Again, Fulham have been very, very good recently, especially their talisman up front, Alexander Mitrovic, who, again, I've been writing off and was saying for so long that he wasn't going to be the striker that he's proving to be. And I mean, week in, week out, Mitrovic is the go-to guy for Fulham. There's never a time where Fulham play and you don't think Mitrovic, when he's playing, isn't going to make an impact, isn't going to you know, alter the scoreline or change the, the direction of the match. Every time Mitrovic plays Fulham the season so far, have played very well. It showed again in this game, 2-1 scoreline, Mitrovic scoring three minutes after the uh, the halftime restart. Again, classic Fulham goal, great goal for Mitrovic, a player who just an absolute menace. I think we have to start calling him, you know, if he reaches 10 goals, I might have to dub him as the Serbian Diego Costa. I think it's only right given how frequently he bullies the opposition defenders. And if you know, you know about Diego Costa, because that's exactly what he used to do with Chelsea in the Premier League. Then obviously, you know, penalty was given and I thought correctly so. I thought it was a bit of a controversial one initially, but clearly Purvis Estupinian did get kicked to the floor. And Alexis McAllister, who's been wrapping in penalties like like a an elf on Christmas, wrapping presents putting them in the back of the net comfortably, or he did it comfortably, casually, making it 1-1. Uh, 
before Lewis Dunk, sorry, Lewis Dunk, hold on, I mixed up the times. Dunk had made it 2 nothing for Fulham, and then McAllister had made it, had had the deficit and made it 2-1 as opposed to 2 nothing. Lewis Dunk had made it 2 nothing after a very, for Fulham that is, for a very, very, from a very, very cheeky and weird way, just the ball kind of just ricocheted into the back and then off of him. Of course, he knows, uh, sorry, not, not that he knows, but he's not known for getting own goals, but I feel like the Premier League is known recently for having many own goals. We've seen one in the West Ham versus Spurs game. We'll get to that later. But own goals seem to be quite prevalent recently, and we saw it again in this match between Fulham and Brighton, obviously. Brighton, who were still very good in the game and could have gone, you know, gotten away with at least a point in this match, weren't able to. And I think when you concede an own goal, your heads mentally, they kind of drop and things start to become a bit more difficult to overcome that psychological battle of we've just conceded on goal and now we're losing to nothing away from home and you know let's just go back it's rainy like we want to go back home like all of those things all of those things come into your mind you have to remember that players are also humans and they also have emotions like every human does so it's only normal that they're going to feel certain ways or some, some of them are going to feel the way that i just explained which could then alter and kind of what's it called uh shape or or shake the way that the game's going to go I thought Brighton bounced back fairly well after going 2 nothing down, but I still think it wasn't enough, as we saw. And it could have been, but it wasn't enough for them to go on and pick up at least a point against the Fulham team, who, let's be honest, like I said, newly promoted side, but they definitely look like they're going to stay up. And I got that prediction entirely wrong as of right now. Of course, we'll see at the end of match day 38, but so far, looking good for Fulham and Marco Silva, who's really looking to start to impress me and be the man I remember him to be when he was at Watford so many years ago. Moving on to... The next match looks like I'm doing it in reverse order. And, you know, the first 14 versus the, the, the top six. But the next game between Leeds and Everton, another boring draw. Now, this game wasn't that boring because Leeds and Everton always play scrappy affairs. There's so much hunger and bite and desire and just sheer tenacity that we see from both teams whenever these two teams play against each other. It's something that I've seen for so long now. And I don't know what the reasoning behind it is I don't know necessarily know the history behind both clubs but it's clear that both of these teams have really just that extra bit of oomph that they kind of want to go out and stick it to each other week in week out every time I see Leeds play against Everton it's the same thing over and over and over again and uh it just it's a it's really it's a beautiful thing to see I mean in this game we saw goals from Luis Sinistera a very good finish which had made it 1-1 after Anthony Gordon had opened the scoring for Everton in the 17th minute again a good finish from Anthony Gordon who's continuing to get better week in week out and from a Chelsea fan's perspective and now that the transfer window is closed and I will do an episode on that as well so don't worry we'll do a full roundup of the transfer window very soon but the fact that Anthony Gordon has uh the fact that Anthony Gordon has continued to score and continue to be as effective and as useful as he has been, shows you the levels that he's taking his game. I mean, he's obviously a very, very good player, Anthony Gordon. We know he is, but he continues to impress time and time and time and time again. And again, Gordon with a lovely finish. He's adding to finishing to his game. He kind of reminds me of the English Vinicius Jr. I know I'm going to get slated for saying that, but this is after all, the home of the most controversial takes. I say this every single episode. I genuinely believe Gordon gives shades of what I'd seen from Vinicius, an English version of that, obviously. I'm not saying it's Brazilian flair. We can't really, you know, put those in the same bracket. But the style of play is very similar as what I see. And I think he had a good game in this match as well. Uh, 1-1 result isn't bad for either side. I think Leeds will be happy with that, especially coming out of a loss against Brighton in the, the, the game before. 
And for Everton, it's just a normally a, a very, very good result. They play Liverpool next at home. That's going to be very, very interesting to see what they do because Merseyside derbies are always up in the air. And of course, at home against Liverpool is always a dangerous game, no matter who you are. Because Liverpool are very good away from home. Now, moving on to the next game, which was between... Wolves and Bournemouth, we're going to go over this really, really quickly because I know this game had nothing noteworthy that happened in it, not to my knowledge at least. This game was nothing to rave home about. I was quite disinterested, quite bored. I mean, the game only had six shots on target in total across both teams. Only like, I mean, it was one team that had the ball more than the other and just dominating possession, and that team was the visiting side in Wolves. But in terms of the overall game itself, it was nothing too interesting or too um, eye-catching that you'd expect or you'd, you'd like to think, or you'd like to want to see in a you know classic Premier League game. But again, when it features Wolves, what can we expect? Wolves are always known for nil-nils, one-nils, one-ones, two-ones. And that's it. So we saw that again in this game. Bournemouth will be happy that they didn't concede nine like they did. And by the way, go check out that last episode. I spoke about that game in detail about how Bournemouth just capitulated against Liverpool and sacked their manager, Scott Parker. They did obviously get a new manager bounce and not losing this game because Wolves have been fairly, fairly, fairly... Uh, dangerous recently and I think some of the acquisitions they made have actually been pretty good especially Mateus Nunez a player you guys should keep an eye on because he's quite a player that guy but barring you know and overlooking him the rest of the match is quite forgettable as most Wolves games are unfortunately and uh, it was a nil-nil draw between Wolves and Bournemouth we'll move on very quickly before I get bored of you know talking about them which I think I already have but moving on to the next game when we come back which will be all of the top six teams and their fixtures. And now onto the top six teams and their fixtures, the real nitty gritty that you guys have all been interested in want and came here to listen to and to, to, to hear more about from me. Let's start off with Manchester City versus Nottingham Forest. Let's just get, let's get straight through this. Erling Haaland is just a generational talent. He's an absolute robot that does this week in, week out. We've come to expect this repeatedly from Erling Haaland. What an absolute player this guy is and he's going to become. He's so young and he plays like he's someone who's played Premier League football since the dawn of time. He truly is the dawn and the dawn of the Premier League played since the dawn of time. You see what I did there? Look at little bars. No, I'm watching a rap. I'm just messing with you guys. But that was a very good performance for Manchester City. A convincing win that, I mean, did we expect anything less going into this game? If you didn't predict City to win this game, it's because of one of two things. You're delusional. You're a bit of a fraud when it comes to your ball knowledge or you're Nottingham for- you, or you are a Nottingham Forest fan, which is fair enough. But City wins 6-0. Could have been more, let's be honest. City were just so dominant and rampant and rambunctious and whatever the word, you know, just extremely, they were just wreaking havoc time and time and time again to the point where Nottingham Forest probably wanted to leave at the end of, you know, the first half. Haaland has scored an opening half hat-trick. He's scored a hat-trick in 38 minutes. And he's now the fastest player to score two hat-tricks in Premier League history. I think it's like, what is it, like five days? Something ridiculous like that. Yeah, that's probably correct, according to my math. But truly, just astonishing stuff from Haaland in Manchester City. Cancelo scoring a belter. And he only scores screamers for City. He's only scored twice in the Premier League for Manchester City. And both of them have been absolute screamers against teams whose names start with N. Newcastle and now Nottingham Forest. Again, Julian Alvarez as a player. I told you guys, go listen to that episode as well. More plugging coming. I told you guys in my Premier League accolades 
predictions that I did with my brother, Nari, I spoke about this. I said Julian Alvarez is going to be a threat constantly. All season long, we're going to see Alvarez completely tear up the Premier League. When I tell you this is the next Sergio Aguero, I'm not lying. This guy is elite, elite goal scorer. If he gets the minutes, which I hope to God he will, because I'm tired of watching. I mean, Grealish hasn't played in a while, so I won't slate Grealish. But he better not come. He better not be on the bench for Grealish, because that's an utter utter shame it's truly shameful shameless behavior if we see that truly i will not understand one bit if that is the case and then the game i mean i had more moments and i just want to really touch on something i don't know why i caught myself in a moment there but i just want to say that for holland this isn't going to become the norm like if anyone thinks the city isn't going to win the league you're clearly not watching the right football that we are because i think this team is by by and far the best team in the league for sure i know arsenal have looked really impressive and i will get to them very soon but in on the whole the city team look genuinely look unstoppable genuinely when they're behind they still find a way to win and when they're winning they're winning very comfortably and i did give this game i think it was like a four nothing or three nothing prediction whatever it was but i knew that city were going to win this game easily any newly promoted team that goes to the Etihad already knows it's going to be a three, a loss of three points or not, no points going to be taken from that match. I remember Ben Foster saying, uh, you know, Foster's obviously a very famous goalkeeper in the Premier League and now a social media creator, a content creator. He was saying that teams, when he used to go to Etihad with the, with this team, whether that's Watford or West Brom, whoever it is, they would say to themselves that being down at three, being down three nothing or losing four nothing at the end of the game was much more than they had bargained for, meaning, I'm not saying that correctly, but he was saying that basically that losing that scoreline is nothing to be sad about. It's just something you should expect. And that scoreline isn't as bad as it may look, you know, because going to City and losing that by that much is expected. And if you don't, you know, exceed a certain number of goals or concede a certain number of goals, then it's really impressive. So I guess nothing for us can do the same thing because 6 nothing isn't terrible. We've seen worse. Literally happened to Newt, uh, to, well, who's it? to Bournemouth last match day. Now moving on to... West Ham 1, Tottenham Hotspur 1 at the London Stadium. Debut for the new Brazilian star who came on and did sprinkle some sauce on the pitch. His name is Lucas Paqueta, if you're wondering who I'm talking about. A player from Lyon who, by the way, guys, if you don't know much about Olympique de Lyon, they're one of the most, I'd say, decorated in terms of potential and in terms of young quality players they are some of the best scouters i've seen arguably in premier league and premier league in football history they just like most teams in league are but especially leon leon continue to produce time and time again they always find the little gems that nobody's discovered or seen yet and they just become you know world beaters immediately after that it's really really something to behold every time i watched uh Lyon play I'm always like this guy's gonna leave now this guy's gonna leave and I was literally watching Paqueta play for Lyon like a couple of days ago and now he's in London playing for West Ham against against Spurs really really impressive victory uh, victory it's been impressive performance I guess or quick little moments from from Paqueta which I knew would, would tell me that he was gonna be you know significant for the West Ham team going forward I thought West Ham should have won this game I really do I don't think Spurs were that great I know they scored I know got lucky own goal that was conceded by new signing Tilo Kerrer there i actually like quite a lot watched him from some, watched him for some time even when he was in the bundesliga but just to say that it was a good game of football the two london teams again going neck to neck you know battling it out again uh both teams not wanting to lose that was clear from conte and that's literally what he that what he prides his game on is making sure they don't um lose all three points and again fair enough they didn't do that a 1-1 draw is obviously a well taken point well earned point at london stadium and for Thomas Socek and company who scored the goal for West Ham, they'll be looking to use that same momentum against Chelsea in their next fixture at Stamford Bridge in 
Lydia Day's time, 24 hours from now. Um, overall, a very, very good game. I had a lot of good moments and just that, you know, that, that's a real sense of excitement and urgency you're looking to see in a London derby, like I always say, especially between these two teams that are not the most, you know, renowned London side, you can say. I would say definitely Chelsea, Chelsea and Arsenal are more on the flip of recent success, whether that's trophy-wise or simply domestic finishes. So I definitely would say, I mean, Arsenal, not necessarily, but they look good recently, Arsenal. And they, obviously, they're a very historical team. But enough of the waffle. 1-1 between West Ham and Tottenham. Let's move on. Let's move on to the next. I love doing this. Let's, you guys know what I normally do on this podcast. Let's switch over to the next side of North London, the red side of North London. Arsenal 2, Aston Villa 1 at the Emirates Stadium. Another vi- another victory. That's 5 for 5 for Arsenal. 5 wins and 5 in the Premier League. Very good performance from the Gunners. Again, their resilience and their ability to never give up. They are so persistent and insistent on winning. Every time Arsenal play... It, no matter where it's been for the last five games, and even before that, going into the preseason, they've continuously had this belief that we're not going to lose today. Like, to the point where they create so many chances that when they concede, it doesn't matter, and that they overload and overwhelm their opposition, just as they did in this game. Aston Villa and Douglas Deweese, who did score the only goal for Villa in this game, who actually was linked to Arsenal all transfer all deadline day yesterday, scored the only goal, cons- the consolation, but I mean, it made the game interesting. It had made it 1-1. At the period of time, but then it became nothing after Gabriel Martinelli had scored three minutes later. The two Brazilians scoring for Arsenal and one Brazilian scoring for Aston Villa. Gabriel Jesus, you know, who's continuing to be one of the best players in the Premier League, arguably in the world. He's been excellent recently for Arsenal and since he signed for them, you know, scoring a very good finish. Again, Jesus being a typical goal poaching striker, which is exactly what you ask a striker to do. He's assumed this number nine position seamlessly. And he's, you know, bringing back the the city form into his Arsenal game and then some. He looks even more complete and ready and hungry than he used to before. And again, this Arsenal team, can they really be stopped? We'll see. They play against Manchester United in their next game at Old Trafford, which will be an absolute cracker. I'm very much looking forward to that fixture and to see what happens in that game. Now, moving on to the game between Chelsea and Southampton. Now, I'm going to go over this very quickly. It was a very shocking performance from Chelsea. That's now two games in a row. Even against Leicester, we weren't that great. But this is just a very poor performance. Up until the 23rd minute and when Raheem Sterling scored, Chelsea were very good. I thought Chelsea were actually quite, uh, you know, impressive in, the, in that time period. And then as soon as uh, Romeo Lavia, who scored a very good finish, but that was a quality goal, scored to make it 1-1. The game was over. Chelsea's head is dropped and the game is done. Unlike the other teams in the top six that are more than often, more often than not capable of returning and coming back from, you know, uh, conceding or coming back from a deficit in the game, Chelsea have not been able to do that as of late, especially underneath Thomas Tuchel. I mean, Chelsea have obviously made new signings this this deadline day and just in general. We'll see how they can you know blend in and add more quality to the team. Obviously, they will. But the question is, will it be significant enough for them to be more of just a team that gets rolled over by Better midfield opposition, better mid, better oppositions with better midfields like Southampton's with, you know, Romeo Lavia and uh, and Ibrahim um, Diallo and James Ward-Prowse for this for, for that matter. And then Chelsea just capitulated from that point from that point on. Adam Armstrong, a player who's not really been that great for Southampton, of course, becomes great against Chelsea. Of course, a good goal to make it two one, and Chelsea were never able to get really back into the game. Tuchel decided to throw caution to the wind, or you know, just throw the, the frying pan into the sink and see what would happen. And I mean, he didn't really, sh- no, no, nothing came of it. It was a very, very uh, 
well-controlled second half from Southampton, who deserved to pick up the three points 100%. You like to think Chelsea would bounce back, but this team is so unpredictable. And as I said in the beginning of my complete, you know, my series or season of the 2022-2023 season, I don't expect much from this team as of right now. I think there's still too much transition and too many players that need to gel before we'll see the full product of what Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea is supposed to look like. In the meantime, it's going to keep being these kinds of performances. And if I have to keep watching J5 in the midfield be a traffic cone, you know, just standing there waiting for people to run him over or simply not doing anything at all, being a passenger on the pitch, then these performances and these types of uh, losses are going to continue to happen time and time again. Now, moving on to... Liverpool versus Newcastle, what a game this was. This was truly something special, something spectacular. In the last second, I'm watching the game with my brother, who's a huge Liverpool fan. So when he saw this, the last Fabio Carvalho goal in the last second of the game, it was obviously, you know, moments of obscene beauty and, and glorious sensation of all this glorious emotion, all of this stuff. It was a very, very evenly matched game overall. I don't even think Liverpool fully deserved to win this game. I'm going to be completely real. I thought they grew into the game, obviously, a lot more once Firmino had scored. Again, a very good goal. Well, good good pass and good find from Mohamed Salah to find him in the space in the box. Firmino with, again, a very clinical finish. He seems to be back in form now, which I think Liverpool were really going to need now that Sadio Mane has left. But uh, again, minute 1-1 after Alexander Isak on his debut. New signing, Swedish, Eritrean international, who had just made his new his debut for... Um, Newcastle scoring to make it one nothing, and again could have made it two one, two nothing. Sorry, but VAR was never going to give make Liverpool concede two goals at home. You know they don't do that. And of course, if that was Liverpool, he probably probably would have been considered onside, and the goal would have been given to him. But we know agendas are being run. I've said this for time now. And I genuinely believe it now. Uh, I don't know how on earth that's this happened, and um, nobody really looked at it. I thought that that should have been something that was checked for sure in more detail than what VAR had said they did, which is a very Weird check of saying they look at the shadow of the player and decided he was offside. But anyways, then Fabio Carvalho in the dying moments of the match after a set piece, which didn't need to be given because the referee gave two and a half minutes added onto the extra time, which I thought was quite strange. I'm going to be honest. And then the game finished 2-1 to, to Liverpool after a very weird deflected strike from Carvalho finds its way into the net past Nick Pope. Pope! And it finished 2-1 to Liverpool, who will be celebrating like they've just won, you know, the Champions League three times in a row, like Madrid did Mac with Zidane. And it was a good performance in the end from Liverpool, the way they finished strong. But a draw would have been more fitting, I thought, especially given how well Newcastle played and made a very good account of themselves. I thought they've been very good recently, Newcastle. They deserve a lot of credit. So uh, I have to give it to them despite losing, again, in very unfortunate circumstances. I feel your pain, Newcastle fans. Don't worry, I understand. We did it to you too, I think, actually, with uh, Kai Havertz yeah, <laughs> against uh, Newcastle at Stamford Bridge. Anyways, on to the final game now. Leicester City versus Manchester United. Leicester nil, Manchester United won a game that we all knew that was going to finish in a loss for Leicester, who literally don't seem like they're ever going to win a Premier League game this season. At least... Um, at least... In the meantime, it's obvious that this Leicester City team has much to work on. And I mean, getting or losing Fafana is going to be a huge blow. I mean, the signing is finally made from Chelsea. They're finally able to get Wesley Fafana. And I think Fafana, in my opinion, is on the William Saliba trajectory. I really do think so. They played together. If you guys didn't know that Saliba and Fafana were actually teammates in France at Saint-Étienne. Uh, I mean, losing Fafana, a player of that quality, you know, of so much stature and just natural ability, it's going to be difficult to replace him. They did bring in a centre-back to replace him, Wout 
Faish, if I'm saying that correctly, the guy from France in France, Belgian defender, I believe, looking like David Luiz Regen. But really, really good um, performance from United, especially with it, they crafted that first goal. Again, I keep saying that word when I talk about them, but they're looking like a much more well-rounded team, a more, more well-oiled machine, less erratic, less you know, um, disjointed. There's still moments of obviously lapse in concentration. They still look a bit vulnerable, which is to be expected. But I think it's obvious that was by getting rid of the likes of Harry Maguire from your back line, you're only going to improve. How many times have I said this? It's only normal. You get rid of Harry Maguire. You get rid of that guy in your back line, it's an automatic W. I've said this for time. I don't know why they signed him. He's not worth anywhere near the money they spent on this guy. I don't care what any of you guys want to tell me. More controversial takes coming, cakes. More controversial takes coming your way. Uh, I thought the fact that Casemiro didn't start was a bit shocking. He's not a player who needs match fitness or anything. He's literally been playing for Madrid this whole time this season and before making the move. Again, another good signing from United, by the way. They've also signed Anthony from Ajax, which I think is going to be a huge, huge, huge impact on that team. He's quite a quality player. If you guys don't know Anthony, you'll know him now. I have his jersey for a reason. I've watched him closely for the last couple of years. He's definitely a very good player, but who knows? United often make players worse. That's just a fact. The list goes on of players that have gone to United that are for big money and haven't landed the way they should, but hopefully for their sake, it does land. Uh, overall, Leicester, again, capitulation, FC, no second half, FC. You know, the second half starts and they just want to go home. Like they, they only come to show up for 45 and then leave. I've really felt it for the likes of Madison and, and you know, even Ian Acho. And I'm seeing Tielemans' face and I'm seeing Johnny Evans. I don't really, I'm not really a big fan of Johnny Evans. But these guys that I'm like, Dick, wow, like your club is truly in shambles. Like, and I said it to the point where your manager looks uncertain, you know, you're not signing anybody significant, you're not selling anybody to replace players correctly. It's just, oh, honestly, like whoever predicted Leicester to be near the relegation zone, you definitely got that right. Because I think Leicester have a lot to work on, like a lot. I think they're going to be a team that's going to struggle for the majority of this season. And if they don't, I will generally be shocked because I don't see how Leicester find a way to climb out of this mess unless they get some sort of free window in the next you know the next three or four weeks to go sign players out of their own fruition but of course that would never happen but back to the game um seeing the combination of bruno and ericsson and what's his name and uh uh, I don't want to say Scott McTominay. I don't like Scooby-Doo. But Ericsson and Fernandez and even Sancho and Alanga, these guys that are so, you know, very shifty and technical players, you're seeing more of Ten Hag's style come out. And I feel like the more that happens, the more United will perform. It's now three wins in a row for Manchester United. And I think they're clean sheets in all games, none of which featured Harry Maguire. I think the backline of Lisandro Martinez and Varane is really a special partnership. And you guys will come to see that too. Both players, I think, that are very good individually in isolation. Again, for United, things often kind of tiptoe, so we'll see where that goes. But that back two looks really solid. Not the biggest fan of Delo or Malasia, but it is what it is. Uh, they had very good performances in this game, but mind you, it's Leicester. I think everyone will perform good against Leicester this season. So, uh, yeah, good performance from them. Good finish from Sancho. We will move on now. And when we come back, we'll be taking a look at the fraud of the week as well as the goal of the week and the assist of the week as well. And now, ladies and gentlemen, on to the goal of the week. And this week's goal of the week has to go to what I said in the beginning of this episode. It has to go to Wilfred Zaha. It has to. It genuinely has to. I can't see anyone else that deserves to win it but him. I thought the goal he took there was 
truly something sumptuous. It was a very, very good goal. And I mean, a finish that you come to expect from Zaha recently. He's really stepped up his game. He's not playing like the player that scores once every seven or eight matches. He's become very, very consistent with his goal scoring. And I think the more he does that is just the more he cements his legacy as a Premier League great and also Crystal Palace great. Goals like this are ones you never forget. Dap me up. And I thought this one I'm never going to forget. It was a very good finish from Mofid Zaha, where he opened up his body and kind of curled it around the, the, the keeper and onto the far post. These kind of goals, we see players try literally every single game, and they always shank it and, and miss it and send it to the corner flag. He did not do that. He was able to keep his composure and coolly and calmly caress it into the far side. Very good finish from Wilfred Zaha. Now, on to the assist of the week. And I have to actually give it to the goal that was scored for Jaden Sancho because I think that this buildup that let Sancho score was really, really nice to see. And the way that it was crafted and even just the simple, smart way to pass that was played, I think it's from, I believe, who was it? Rashford, I believe. I don't remember who got the assist necessarily. I think it was Rashford who played in that pass. And it was a really, really good ball, really, really good pass. And I thought that... um that this goal deserved to be credited for that. Because the way United played in certain build-ups, you could see that natural progression, that United identity coming out. And the way that this goal was scored was, sh- was showing that as well. Similar to what I saw, by the way, quickly, quick pivot to the league with PSG and against Toulouse, a great goal that was scored by Neymar, the way that Messi had played that, you know, in-behind pass. The similar idea here with Rashford to just to Sancho. Great finish from Sancho, the way he rounded the keeper and just put it back into the back of the net. So that is my assist of the week. And on to the fraud of the week. Oh, this is tricky. I mean, it could be Chelsea. It could be Villa. It could be Nottingham Forest. And not necessarily because you lost means you're a fraud. Because you could draw like Spurs did and they should have lost. And they could be frauds as well because they've not been playing well. I keep saying this, but I genuinely believe that. Uh, But I think my fraud of the week... (laughs) That's fraud! Fraud! Has to be Nottingham Forest. Um, I don't think that these signings are necessarily going to land the way people are. People think they made 20 signings this, this season. And for you to keep shipping, chop, chopping and shipping and changing and, and shaking and changing and whatever the word is and alternating your team over and over again, it's going to cause some disruption in the side, obviously. And the fact that they're putting in new players, in, it, they literally put a new player into the signing lineup every game. That's not going to work for you, especially not against a big side like Manchester City. You're going to struggle doing that week in, week out in the Premier League. You need to find a consistent 11, especially when it's your first year back in the Premier League. Everybody knows that. That's what the best teams have. They have a set 11 or set like 10 or 12, you know, 13 players that are always going to be in and out of the team. Nothing for us don't have that. And I know they have a great coach and I like him a lot. But I am getting a bit nervous now, I'm going to be honest, because these losses can't keep racking up. Of course, it was against Spurs and City who are much but, you know, better teams than established teams. Of course they are. But just going forward, you, you want to see a bit more stability and solidity from this team for their sake. 6 nothing is never a bad thing against City. I mean, most Chelsea have gotten beaten 6 nothing against City. So it's not no, no shame to be taken in that. But they are my frauds of the week for that reason. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the end of the Stephen Talk Soccer Podcast episode of Match Day Premier League. Whoa, English. Premier League Match Day number five. Thank you guys for listening as always. Please make sure to download, to subscribe, to share, to follow, do all of those lovely things on whatever platform you listen to your podcast on. Make sure to, as well as to check out my other episodes. I will be back, as always, with more content very, very, very soon, as I say. Um, can you repeat the part of this stuff where you said all about the things? And as we say on this podcast, welcome to the Dawn Squad. Welcome. Come and pick up 
a jersey, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the team. The transfer window is closed, but the Stephen Talk Soccer transfer window is always open. So welcome to the team. I'm glad to have you on board. I'll speak to you guys again soon. Deuces. Hey everyone, are you enjoying the content? Please be sure to leave a rating and a review and to check out my other episodes. If you're looking for more Steven Talk Soccer content, you can find me at STS Pod on Instagram, at Steve Talks Footy on Twitter, and at Steven Talk Soccer on TikTok. Become a consistent starter in the STS squad.